equity and women in the workplace in the age of COVID-19. Earlier this year, the World Economic Forum released the 2020 Global Gender Gap Report, in which it highlighted that it will be close to 100 years before we see gender parity. A more sobering realization is that due to COVID-19 and the reimagined workplace, where home and work responsibilities have intersected, many women are scaling back their careers. Also, in a, a recent Department of Labor report on employment, women have left the workplace at a rate of four times um, that of men. We know women are often caregivers, and as COVID has forced schools to close and, and distance learning and other strains on the family, women are really juggling in a pressure cooker to the breaking point, trying to manage these multiple priorities at, the, at home and at work. Welcome to the Diversity Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Audra Jenkins, joined by members of my Ronside Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Already crew, Floss Agri and Demetria Johnson. Today, we are speaking with Minda Hartz, the best-selling author of the memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. She is also the CEO of the Memo LLC, a career development platform for women of color. Minda is also an assistant professor at NYU Wagner and has been featured in many phenomenal establishments such as MSNBC's Morning Joe, Fast Company, The Guardian, and Time Magazine. Menda frequently speaks at companies like Microsoft, Levi's, Google, and Bloomberg on topics such as leadership, managing diverse teams, and self-advocacy. She's also the host of a phenomenal podcast called Secure the Seat, which I've had the honor of being a guest on, as well as many of our diversity, equity, and inclusion colleagues. Welcome, Menda. Thank you so much, Audra. I'm so happy to be here with you and your colleagues. Minda, it is such a treat. We are so excited for you joining today. Uh, we just all really do appreciate your time. So let's jump right in, Minda. So I feel like we're at this tipping point here. 2020 has just been this roller coaster year. We've had this deadly global pandemic impacting the lives of millions of people. We've had protests globally for social justice. We've had a very, you know, strained election year on top of that. And, you know, all these challenges, I mean, how have they impacted you as a woman and a small business owner? Yeah, you hit it on the head, Audra. I mean, all the things, right? There's just been, I think they call it a syndemic, multiple pandemics happening at once. And I, I definitely feel them as a Black woman and a business owner. And I've really had to get creative in terms of my offerings and, and how I do business. But I will say with my company, The Memo LLC, back in 2016, we started doing virtual workshops. And so it was something that was always an offering of ours. So, but we started to do less of them, you know, being out in the world and everything like that. And then once we went down back into, I guess, lockdown, if you will, I was able to offer those, those virtual offerings again. So bringing out some old ebook goodie stuff, and then also just thinking about and being more intentional about the work that I'm doing and kind of honing in on those. So I've really been able to almost reestablish myself in business, but still keeping women of color at the center. I love that. You had to pivot and be agile for sure, right, Minda, in mm -hmm. this, this current climate. So I do appreciate that. And especially we support our small business owners out there. We know it's been a tough year and we, we want to see them thrive, not just survive. So, you know, one outcome of COVID-19 has really put a spotlight on many disparities, you know, such as whether it's internet disparities of accessibility in, or inaccessibility in low-income families, lack of support systems, particularly for single working parents, lack of health care and insurance coverage, the uninsured or underinsured. You know, what can companies do to kind of address some of these gaps for their own workforce? I mean, I, I think about 
you know, you advise these major companies, you know, these premier companies, these Fortune 5 com- companies, and what would you advise them on how they can help kind of help within their own workforce? Yeah, I really appreciate that question. And, and I think about it, it's one of the things that keeps me up at night because I really think more so during the, the global pandemic is the employee experience and employee journey. And I think oftentimes we don't think about or people in positions of power forget what it was like maybe to sit on the other side of the table, right? And what is the experience? And when we say even work from home, have we even checked in with our employees to find out if they have everything they need to work from home, right? We can't just assume that, you know, to your point that everybody has, you know, the fastest internet or that people even have a computer in which they can feel comfortable using and do their work. And I think one of the opportunities and the openings that I see that, you know, all companies have right now is to be able to ask the right questions, ask your employees what they need to do the best work of their careers. And I think those are the questions that we have to tackle because, If we don't ask people what they need to be successful, to be invested in, then we're never going to get the productivity and that's bad for business, right? So I think that a lot, I know we talk a lot about the buzzword empathy, but I do think that empathy and flexibility is so important right now because yes, things are changing and maybe even some jobs are changing, but companies can still provide support for their employees. And I think it's really important that we close the communication gap because if our employees are taken care of, then that's good for business. And I really think honing in on the employee experience is going to be critical going into the new year. Wow, that is so powerful, Menda. Thank you for that. I mean, that empl- we do take for granted that employee experience. I mean, a lot of employees are struggling right now. I mean, they are really struggling, whether it's, you know, not feeling that they have privacy when they we're, we're doing so many video calls at, at home. And maybe they feel like, you know, that's, you know, that's creeping into their private life. And I think also just having the right tools. I mean, I think you're right. Setting it for success. I mean, I, I don't know that we, I don't know, as leaders, do we always ask those those quite, those questions, those probing questions? We assume that everybody is set up for success without asking. So I, I really appreciate your, your great points on that. So moving on to the next question, you know, I keep thinking back this year, you know, since the death of George Floyd in the United States, uh, we've seen so many diversity and inclusion jobs just crop up out of nowhere. Well, I think I've seen more jobs in the past six, seven months than I've seen in the past 10 years. <laughs> it really is. It, it, it's great, but it's also concerning, meaning where was this opportunity, you know, before George Floyd passed? And, you know, I'm glad it was his life meant something, not just to his family, but it, it was also a bigger opportunity for us to have a, a, a deeper conversation on some of the challenges people are, are facing in, in our country, in our workplaces, and some of the trauma. But what do you think this means? I mean, do you think this signals that companies are really willing to embrace diversity, equity, inclusion, or you think they're just checking another box by popping up these, these roles, popping up these roles that never existed before in the last 10 years, their organization? Yeah. You know, like you said, I think it's great that companies are doing this, but (laughs) what is the intention, right? What is the real next steps? And are we putting these positions out there to be filled just to to check the box or do we really want to move the needle? And I, I would even push our leaders and our companies before they hire a person to take that seat at the table, making sure that they're really ready to invest in their success, you know, really ready to provide them with a budget, that they have a seat at the table to voice the concerns and the 
ways to move forward that are really impactful. And so I, I think that companies have to be honest with themselves and say, is this person really going to have influence and be able to move this company in a way in which we need it to? Or are they just going to be that in name only, right? And I think that two things can be true at the same time. Like, let us, we can have that, but are we really here to make change or are we just here to check the box? And I think companies need to be upfront and transparent about what that role really entails, right? Because somebody taking that position, I'm going to guess they want to come in and they want to roll their sleeves up and really move the company forward. But if you don't have buy-in from the rest of the executive leadership, then that's really hard to do. And that makes that person's job even more difficult. But then the other part I would say is, let's not put all the onus on these chief diversity officers or Mm. diversity leads. Everybody should be, that should be part of everybody's job description. Everybody should have a hand in that. Oh, Minda, you are preaching to the choir today. Let me tell you, because (laughs) I always say that it's everybody's job to impact culture. It's not just your chief diversity officer. It's not just your leader. It's everyone has a role in that. I mean, I think that culture comes from the collectiveness of all of us and what we all bring to it. And And that openness and transparency, I love that. And resources, that's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I'm going to now transition over to Floss, who's going to ask some questions. Uh, Floss? Thanks, Audra. So kind of piggybacking on a lot of what Audra was talking about around gender diversity, remote work uh, this year, et cetera. A lot that we've heard this year uh, includes the words resilience, uh, words like agility, reimagined work, over and over again, you know, there are a number of companies that have now transitioned to remote work. Many of them uh, at one point felt like it could never be done, but faced with a crisis like we've been in, they have found themselves forced to do it and they've debunked the myth around it. What are your thoughts about, you know, flexible and remote work and it creating more opportunities for women or other types of uh, diverse individuals and untapped talent? Yeah, I really appreciate that question, Floss. You know, it's so funny. I, I remember to your point, I used to have a lot of managers in my former life. They would say, oh, you can't do that from home. You have to be in the office now. And I wish I could like email some of them and say, do, do they really have to be in the office now or can they do their job? Because I think what we found is that if people have the right tools, that a lot of the work can be done outside of the office, right? If you have the right systems in place, then people can do their job in many cases from anywhere. And I was reading an article recently that said now during the pandemic, over 70% of managers say that you can do your job uh, from anywhere almost, whereas before people, you know, it was very taboo. So I think in order to get the best out of our employees, and again, back to that employee experience, asking people what they want, right? what they need. I know there's certain companies out there now who are giving their employees the option. Do you want to come back into the office or do you want to stay working you know, from home and or do you want to live somewhere else and do the work? And I think if you find that people are still being productive, they're still being holding themselves accountable getting the work done, then let's talk about what that experience is like. You know, nothing should be off the table if we're moving the business forward. And the other thing to the employee experience side of this, I think making sure that there are systems in place where employees can voice that concern, right? So if working from home is working, let us know that. If it's not work, if it's not working, what do you think you need, right? Or if everybody is on Slack, is that the right tool to use, right? 
Could we be using something else? So I think we have this opportunity to further interrogate and investigate what work really looks like and what it looks like for the future of many of our companies. And I think that this allows us to disrupt what has been the status quo and really think about what that looks like. And lastly, I'll say I'm really excited, especially for you know some communities who don't always have the opportunities or the access that maybe now a job that you would never take in New York City because you maybe you don't you never wanted to live in New York City, but now you can apply for your dream job and still live in, you know, Mississippi, right? And so now I feel like these opportunities are almost democratizing the the way that we think about things. And I'm really excited about the opportunities for people to dream a little bit bigger in their career now having some of those barriers out of the way. Thank you for that. I agree. I think I'm seeing a lot of opportunities around uh, expanded talent pools for a number of our clients, because you're right, in many instances now with remote work, they can work anywhere. And to your point about the probing questions, I, I really love that, Minda, you know, asking what else do they need? Maybe they don't like uh, using this certain platform to communicate. So, I think all of these things are important to consider when we consider everything that's going on this year and and helping our employees achieve sort of a balanced life. Uh, Going into my next question, speaking of balanced life, you know, with everything going on, people have experienced a ton of stress. There's the anxiety. You also unfortunately hear about the increase in domestic violence with being at home. Do you have any tips for women uh, that they may be able to use to help balance that and find their place of calm in what has been sort of a storm for many people as we proceed into the new year? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it, you know, I'm probably going to sound like a broken record (laughs) by the end of this interview, but I think going back to the employee experiencing and asking people what they need, right? Because maybe the whole team, you know, 95% of the team enjoys working from home. But to your point, what if there is a a woman who's in a situation where being out of the home was better for her, right? And so I think we have to put systems in place to where we do those employee surveys and we ask the right questions to find out what, you know, women need in particular, because I know a lot in my career, I early on, I didn't feel like I had the agency to speak up and say what I really needed, right? Even if people may have asked me the question, I might not have felt comfortable with that. So making sure that we have um, procedures and areas to give those nudges to find out what people really need and if things are working. And I think that's like the key, the communication gap, making sure that we're closing that. And then also empowering women to be able to say that certain things are working. Or I have one friend who their company is doing a no Zoom week. And I know that this may be difficult for a lot of companies, but you know, all for one week right before the holidays, they're not it's gonna be no Zooms. Like figure out what you need to do outside of to to have your meetings and things and just giving people a break. And I think that's part of the flexibility, knowing that there is this video fatigue and and we're doing all the things. And even in my work, I teach part-time at NYU and I'm teaching online this year. And I know that a lot of my students are working full-time jobs. So I can't teach the same way that I taught before, right? People are at home now, they're doing a lot of things. And so I have to be flexible. And and all the assignments that I once had on the syllabus, I had to look at them very and interrogate myself and say, okay, is, do we really need to do this right now? Is this helping? 
Can we do this another way? And I think unlearning what's been the status quo and saying, you know, how can we make work work for everybody? And when we ask ourselves those questions, I think we can get down to, you know, how to help and empower others to help themselves set those boundaries, if that makes sense. It does. Absolutely. And I'm sure your students thank you for your uh, (laughs) flexibility when it comes to that. Before I hand it over to Demetria, I have one final question. Before I ask this question, I want to just say you're certainly yourself inspiring. So you're definitely an inspiration. Uh, You've achieved an impressive level of success, of course. But, you know, was there a point in your career where you you were in the zone and you said, okay, this is it. This is my identity. This is my purpose. There may be people listening that, you know, haven't quite found that yet and would be interested in, in hearing about that from you. Yeah. Thank you for those kind words. So actually it was, um, a quote that Oprah has comes to mind, uh, turn your wounds into wisdom. And it's really what I did when I was in my former life is, I was going through a lot in the workplace, being the only woman of color, being the only black woman. And I was experiencing some microaggressions, macroaggressions, depending on what day it was. And it, I was kind of pushed to the edge to feeling like, wow, I had worked this hard to get to this place in my career. And now I'm being met with all of this opposition. And it was really, really difficult to reconcile. But I remember one day, and I'll never forget it. It was in 2014. I had had just a really horrible day at work and I was on my way to the car. And when I got to the car, I broke down in tears and I was just like frustrated, didn't know what to do. I thought that my career path was what I had worked hard to get. And uh, it was almost feeling like it was just crumbling and not because of anything I had done wrong. And in that moment, um, I turned on the radio and Whitney Houston's Where Do Broken Hearts Go comes on the radio. And in between laughing, crying, I started laughing and I'm like, oh, wow, God, you really have a sense of humor. And in that moment, I thought to myself, where do the broken hearts of women of color go when they can't take it anymore? And it was in that car ride in the car trying to figure out, oh, I can understand. I can take all of this experience that I've had and try to make the workplace better for women who look like me so that they don't have to experience their dreams, their corporate dreams deferred. And again, and at that moment, I didn't know what it looked like, Floss, but I knew I was on to something. I knew that I had to go down this path. And even sometimes things will be disrupted in our life and we'll think, wow, I thought this was my path. And it was so clear to me in that car in 2014 that there was another path for me to go down. And um, I'm just so glad that I did. And I didn't you know, I was in the picture. I was, I was in the picture, so I didn't see the full picture at the time. But I allowed myself to choose me. I didn't let the workplace beat me down, and I, I could have, you know, gone home and threw the cover covers over my head. But I knew that there was more. And I just want to remind the listeners that you are more than enough. And and sometimes, you know, things are disrupted for a reason. And allow yourself to go down that path to see what that reason or that purpose is. Wow. Thank you also for your vulnerability in sharing that story. And I, and I love what you just said, and I have to call that out. I, I just wrote this down. I was in the picture, so I didn't see the full picture at that point. And I think that is just instrumental to like problem solving, solving our wounds. You have to step outside of yourself for a moment to to heal. So thank you for that that nugget. I'll pass it on to uh, Demetria now, who's going to uh, continue with the line of questioning. Thank you so much again, Minda. 
Thank you. Thank you, Floss. I appreciate that. And Menda, boy, I can tell you, you've just dropped so many nuggets of wisdom for, I know, for me, for our team, and for our listeners. So I'm going to talk about something you just mentioned, wounds in the workplace. So in your book, The Memo, you recall that one of your key mentors or success partners, Chuck, helps you realize your worth when applying for a job that you didn't quite have all of the qualifications. What advice do you have for women who are afraid to ask for more when interviewing for a new job opportunity? Yes, thank you for that, Demetria. I, you know, uh, shout out to all the Chucks that have helped us in our careers. Um, Chucks come in various uh, genders and sizes and races and ages, and so I'm I'm glad that I that I had that in my life uh, when I needed it most. But I would say, really pay attention to the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. And what I mean by that is that just because we may not check all the boxes in the job description, or maybe we, they asked for 10 years and you only have nine, you know, but can you tell the career story in which allows them to see that you are the one for the job? And I think sometimes we talk ourselves out of things. And in the memo, I talk about having an empire state of mind versus an enemy state of mind. And an empire state of mind would say, you can do this, girl. You know, you can make it anywhere, right? And the part of the equation that we can solve is what we do, what we ask for. I wish that I could say every time you ask for more that you would be met with the outcome that you want. But the reality is we can't dictate how the other person will respond to us, but we can dictate the research that we do. We can dictate the practice and the preparation that we go into that ask with, and we can dictate what our why is. Why are we asking for what we're asking for? And how does it align with what the company's bottom lines are, uh, line is as well? So marrying the two, like here are my career needs, but this is also beneficial for the company as well. And I think as we learn to tell our career story and tell the story in which we are uh, successful in which we deserve to be in, you know, in these positions, I think then we will start to see ourselves in different ways. And I'm so glad that I had a Chuck to remind me that, yes, maybe you don't hit every lever, but you've been doing this work. So now it's up to you to articulate what you've been doing and how your uh, current career story tells what your future career story could be. And so again, what we can control is what we do. And so I would ask you to harness that power and that energy and get your stats and get your facts and get your, your wins and what you've been doing and really put that together in, you know, the right career narrative and go for what you, for what you know, because the reality is you'll never know just adhering to the status quo. No, I love that. When you say about telling our stories, and oftentimes we don't tell our stories, and especially Black women, right, women of color, and women in general now, as you said, about matching the job qualifications and applying for those. I think it's almost like 50% of women apply for jobs that they feel is somewhat as a stretch for them. And they only meet half of qualifications, but men 100%. So I appreciate that, taking control and maybe turning our goals into reality. Yes. So you also talked about Empire State of Mind, which leads me to my next question for you. You talk on your podcast, Secure the Seat, with women who have a similar story, a story of putting up with office politics when you are not yet in a senior level role. And then how do you navigate 
the slippery slope of office politics to advance your career in a positive way. One of the things that I recall reading that you said is show up with your combat gear and as the empire state of mind. So what advice would you have for those who are looking to navigate that slippery slope of office politics to advance their career? Yeah, office politics is a really interesting (laughs) thing. And I wish that there was a way to dismantle it. But for right now, I guess that we have to figure out how to work with inside the system so that we can be the the change in the system. And, And part of that is first acknowledging that the words of Audre Lorde, she says, beware of feeling like you're not good enough to deserve it. And once I started to really marinate on that quote, I thought, wow, I do deserve to be in these spaces, right? I do deserve to have these opportunities. And even though there's certain things that are happening, respect is just a minimum, right? So what are the boundaries in which I'm going to set? Yes, I need to advocate for myself. That's within my control. I need to build relationships, even in a virtual environment. That's within my control, right? But whenever I would feel like any office politics was going against my values or making me shrink or do any of those sorts of things, then I really had to investigate, is this the right table for me? Is this the right environment for me? And I think back to what we were talking about before, as women, we have so much power and sometimes we do give that away because we've been in very oppressive systems, right? So back to the quote, beware of feeling like you're not good enough to deserve it. Don't think you can't plant yourself in places that you can grow. Right. And if you've been at this at a certain place for a million years and, and you're still being met with, you know, certain types of politics that, you know, no one else would be receiving, <laughs> you know, you have to ask yourself those questions. Right. Just like we talked about asking the right questions of our companies, we sometimes have to ask the right questions of ourselves. But I think when we learn to articulate our value and quantify our worth and find those success partners within the institutions that we work, then that will make it a little less harder of a fight, but you also have to ask yourself, is it worth the fight, right? And how how much of a fight do you want to put up with? Because I guarantee that there are other places too that would encourage your growth. So we just have to be clear on what we want out of the situation. And if we're in certain places that we're not able to to move on to a different department or what have you, make figuring out how to make work work for you in the moment. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I know that through Twitter, a lot of your followers have asked you that same similar question, right? And now as they move into 2021, we're talking about, hey, know your worth and then don't settle, right? Ask for what you deserve. So that leads me to my last question. You would think that we had all this queued up, huh? (laughs) You have spoken about pay equity and, and most recently you did an article you're quoted in an article in Forbes is helping black women close the pay gap for good. And it's, you know, like we said, for especially for women of color. So what are some of the systematic barriers that we need to address first in order to improve compensation practices in corporations? I mean, you've been t- known as the career accelerant. And I think that is so true and heard you speak oftentimes on this subject. So what could you tell our listeners about what they need to do to improve compensation practices or what they can do to help themselves with those barriers. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. I think what's most important is the transparency. I think that as companies, I think, you know, again, during this really interesting time period during, you know, COVID-19, 
companies have a really unique opportunity to be more transparent than maybe they had in the past. And if we really want an equitable workplace for everybody, then we have to be, we have to start with the money. Right? We're going to have to start with the money and pull back the covers. And if we do have some pay disparity happening, then be honest about that and say, but here's what we're going to do to make sure that we get to parity, right? Here are the steps that we're taking. So I would encourage companies to do pay audits uh, frequently and let it be known that we this is where we are and this is where we're headed and hold us accountable. I think that really sends a, a clear signal to people that you're trying to be better. But then the other part of that and acknowledging that you know, men and women uh, do not get paid the same. And then there's degrees in the wage gap, disparities and discrepancies between women of color and, you know, the dominant majority. So I think we have to acknowledge that and we can't pretend that that doesn't exist. But the other part of it is back to our, you know, our last conversation topic is what part of this equation can we solve, right? And that means asking for what we want <laughs> Having our uh, case for support, having, you know, the work that we've been doing to show that we're not just asking just because, but, you know, here's what even our state laws say about equal pay, right? You know, really understanding all of those facets that go into salary negotiation. And if you need to, this is a real, I'm a real big fan of investing in yourself, hire a coach that specializes in your industry and in salary negotiation so that you have somebody who's there with you giving you the right language, but you're also practicing various scenarios when you go into it. But the last thing I'll say is just because we are in a virtual and a work from home environment, don't think that you can't ask, right? Because people are still getting promotions. They're still getting bonuses. Things might look a little bit different, but people are still getting them. So why shouldn't that be you? I love that. I love that. Don't think that you can't ask. It's sort of ties into what you said about accountability partners, right? Mm -hmm. We need to be there and be accountable and turn our goals into reality. Yes. Well, I thank you, Minda, for that. I am now going to turn it back over to Audra. Thank you. Wow, Minda, I have to say, I knew you were going to bring it today, but man, you're dropping a lot of great knowledge for our listeners. I'm so appreciative of you for that. So, Minda, you know, I did a speaking engagement recently for National Diversity Council on intersectionality. You know, why do you think that topic is really critical to address when we're trying to improve overall workplace culture? Well, thank you again for having me. I think intersectionality is just so important because, you know, everybody doesn't experience the workplace the same. <laughs> that, that's even as women, we don't. And I think the more that we talk about those differences, the more we can find solutions. So if we just have one size fits all for all women, then we never get to, we never ask the right questions of other women who are not experiencing or who may be experiencing certain things. So two things can be true at the same time. There might be women who are thriving in a certain workplace and there may be women in that same environment who are barely surviving. And so I think we have to address both and invest in both in all women. And so I think it's so important that we talk about those unique challenges that women face in the workplace. Absolutely. And I think too, Amanda, you know, another thing you just made, you really, you said some could be thriving, some could be surviving. It really does speak to all the identities we have, right? Mm -hmm. All the identities we identify with and that makes us who we are and, you know, not really being able to show all our identities because, you know, oh, maybe the culture is not accepting or we're afraid of, you know, additional bias or microaggressions, so many different things. And I just, I just wish that we could get to a point where it's not or. It's always something and, not something or. Mm -hmm. We're talking about this. So thank you for that. 
So got a, a fun question, Minda. So if you could sum <laughs> up your life journey in a song, what song would that be? You know, I love music and I love that question. For me, I think that it would best be a Jay-Z lyric. And he says that I'd rather die enormous than live dormant. And I really do believe that it's important to live our best lives, control the things that we have control over. And I'd rather live enormous instead of living in fear, you know, of the what ifs of life and really go for it. And so I feel like our my life in particular has been so much more fruitful when I've let my curiosity be larger than my fear. Wow, that is powerful. Your curiosity is larger than your fear. Oh my goodness. You probably freed some people today. They're going to pass the plate in a minute, Amanda. <laughs> yeah, tell them where to send it to. Yeah. I know. <laughs> oh my goodness. I could feel that one. Okay, so one last question. You know, you've been such an advocate about doing what's right, especially for women of color, women and women of color. You know, what do you want your legacy to be that your fans and family remember the most about you? That's a great question. I think for me, really, um, that Minda was generous, right? And I think being generous is such a privilege. And the fact that I've been able to be generous in many different ways in my life has been the gift to me. And so I hope that people will say that she was generous in every area of her life. Oh, that is so phenomenal. Oh, my goodness. And I can tell you listeners, Minda is definitely generous. She shares her wisdom, her knowledge, and and she lifts women up everywhere. So thank you for that, Minda. And thank you for such a true gift for us today. I, I so appreciate you on this this podcast today. Oh, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you to you. Thank you to Demetria. Thank you to Floss. And I'm just excited. We, we could do this every week. <laughs> We could. I mean, I, I just hate to end it. I, I always do. It's just such a fun. I love having this conversation because this is something we, you and I, we both live for this. I mean, this mm-hmm. is our, you know, our platform, you know, helping to uplift and elevate. So especially in the DNI space. So thank you for that. Well, Minda, you know, you really shared a lot of, you dropped a lot of great knowledge today. I'm, I really appreciate you. Thank you, Floss and Dimitri from our Ready Crew for another phenomenal conversation. And I want to thank our big, a big thank you to our listeners globally. We appreciate your support. We've been listened to in over 44 countries and we do appreciate that. Um, in the words of Serena Williams, the success of every woman should be the inspiration to another. We should raise each other up. Make sure you're very courageous, be strong, extremely kind, and above all, be humble. Remember that when we celebrate diversity and inclusion, we celebrate humanity. Be sure to spread the word and tag our hashtag diversity deep dive podcast. Real diversity happens when everyone is actively engaged and working together for a positive change. Let's keep the conversation going. Please download more episodes of the diversity deep dive podcast. Until next time, seek out ways to make a positive difference in your organization or community. 